Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Good morning, Stacey. I think we're, have we agreed that we're going to have the No Doom and Gloom radio show today? I would agree, yes. Good morning, John. We we have said this is a virus-free zone today. Uh, not because we don't think it's important. We, we, we know it's all important. But it does feel like everywhere you turn this week, as uh, the conversation is, is focusing on the virus. Um, so, so we've made some decisions that today we're going to stay a little bit more um, focused on what's going on in the business world because that will continue afterwards, right? Yep. So if you're enjoying your dose of adrenaline and fear, this probably isn't for you. But otherwise, Stacey and I are going to talk about what's going on in the industry. Yep. <laughs> That's All right. right. Well, well, neither of us are traveling because travel is restricted right now. So we're we're busy looking at what's going on, and there is still stuff going on in the industry. Um, it's a very busy couple of weeks, um, considering how many acquisitions and mergers have been taking place. Um, John, where do you want to start today? Do we want do we want to start at the the bottom of the list? Or do we want to start at the top of the list of things that, that let, we've got going on. Let, Let's start at the bottom of the list and work up. And, and you know, I go down to the bottom of the list and, and I say no doom and gloom. And then this says Oracle's going to cut 1,300 jobs in Ireland. <laughs> so, so, so there you go. There you go. Um, now, the, no doom and gloom about the virus, but, but businesses still have to figure out optimally what's working for them. And, um, we didn't get to talk about this last week. It was it was in the news. Um, uh, Oracle is, I think, struggling a bit to find their footing still in this cloud world that we're in. Um, and um, they have told um, everyone that they are cutting 1,300 jobs across Europe, um, with uh, Dublin being one of the probably biggest uh, locations affected. Um, the staff cuts affect people from across sales, business development, and solutions engineering. Um, and they came after Oracle fell short of their quarterly revenue estimates late last year um, as a growth in its cloud services businesses failed to cover the losses in traditional licensing businesses. So this is, we've been watching this happen for a little while. This is just goes to say that sort of good business metrics have to be followed. And when they are, you know, you know numbers start to drop, right? Right. So the next one is, Despite a focus on diversity and inclusion, less than half of organizations have a strategy to improve gender equality. Isn't that nuts? Could, yeah. how, could that possibly, how could that possibly be true? That, I mean, this is a Mercer report, and, and, and the idea that, that there are 50% of businesses that are not working to solve the gender equality problem, that's bizarre. It's bizarre, but it's it's what's happening. So I did a really great um, uh, panel um, on on Monday with um, or Tuesday, sorry, this week with a, a group of women, um, uh, Minda Hart, who wrote the uh, the memo, uh, how a women of color um, get a seat at the table. Um, uh, Eva, um, who runs uh, uh, Soft Skills, um, as well as uh, Trish McFarland. Uh, three, three amazing women, and we talked about gender equality. Um, and what we all really found is that although there's been a lot of conversation about it, there's been a lot of discussion about it, um, in every instance we're finding that companies are struggling to, to really think about equality both 
um, from a race and a gender perspective and in other uh, situations in a way that um, leads to, to better outcomes. Um, a lot of them are doing a lot of diversity programs, but they're not um, paying on the right scales. They're not creating environments where, where uh, uh, women feel like they're included and inclusive in the environments and the culture. So yeah, this doesn't surprise me at all. It was definitely the topic of our conversation just a few days ago. So, so let me ask you, this is, this is the problem I often have with vendor surveys. Mercer has a business associated with improving gender equality and pay, and and this um, this survey finding has to do with that. How do you trust something like that? That is, uh, the, the vendor who sells the product says, "Oh, look, we surveyed the world, and everybody needs us." Um, yeah. Right. Right. And, that, and, so, that, and yeah. It's a challenge. So There's I, no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. This is—it's so weird. We've gotten into this place where, where third-party research is understood to be um, um, less effective than somebody claiming that the data shows that the world needs their product. It's—it's <laughs> it's a strange world we're living in right now. Well, I mean, it, it's running really along the same issues we have with journalism and anything else, where sort of the the conversation about validated research versus um, vendor-based research versus sort of organizations who are just doing research as a content, you know, tool, right? Um, one of the things I will say, though, is that, I, you know, outside of, of Mercer's business as a organization that consults on this, they do have some of the most stringent um, research processes that I've seen in the market, even validating other research organizations, and I would say like CR Cedar for their processes. So I know research Mercer has a, a strong belief in good research. Um, that being said, though, I will say I think what you have to really look at is the details about who participated in, in that research and what their roles were within the organization. So you have to look a little bit at how the research was done, and then also be very aware of, of, of how people can take data and sort of manipulate it for sort of their own messaging. So don't just read the top headlines of any research, right? Because the top headline is easy to manipulate, but good researchers also show what the data looks like underneath. And what you want to look at is how the data is looking underneath and, and make some discussions about how that actually plays out in your area, your industry, or your region, right? Um, so I wouldn't say that by any means is it always uh, in you know less valuable to look at research just because an organization delivers those services, but I do think you should make sure that whatever research you're getting access to, you can see how it was done, who responded at some level, and see some of the underlying data to be able to make some judgment calls of your own. But yeah, it's a good call out. Yeah, but I don't think there's anybody who would who would disagree that. Um, Although diversity, we're seeing, you know, I say, you know, in our research, we, we can show that over 70% of organizations think they're effective at doing diversity and inclusion, right? But only, you know, 20% of organizations say that they have a um, transformational or excellent approach to doing um, pay equity. So it's really hard to say you're doing diversity and inclusion really, really well, and you're not managing pay equity, right? So I think, you know, others additional research organizations and other research efforts can validate some of what we're seeing here too. 
Cool. Okay. And so next, we, next to just sort of take the other side of this, Lilith Christensen is the new senior vice president of strategy at Silk Road Technology. Another woman running the strategy shop in another big player. We yeah, have an amazing it. industry. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, we do. And, and I, this is a good one. Lilith um, used to run the onboarding develop pro- program over there and the development tools for the onboarding tool. And Silk Road is definitely, I would say, is pulling itself out of being an all-inclusive enterprise application from an HR perspective and focusing much more heavily over the last year or two on onboarding, uh, wanting to become the premier onboarding tool with the base of uh, what used to be their red carpet tool, which then sort of infused across the entire application. Um, so this makes a lot of sense to me, and I think Lilith is, is you know, I've, you know, in conversations with her, I think she'll probably invest in the organization moving even farther in that direction, right, from a product perspective. Um, so, you know, I, this industry is really great at giving an opportunity for women to lead in the technology space. Um, what I really like to see is also getting them into the executive levels as well. We haven't quite hit that mark yet. Hmm. All right. And next in the queue, a light deploys AI and data-driven insights to reach new levels of engagement in the employee experience. Wow. <laughs> if you got a dollar per buzzword. Um, yes. <laughs> That's just this very little stitching, just buzzwords in a row. So, so <laughs> what, does this, what does this mean to you? The, the, a light um, is doing something with employee experience using AI. Well, I think it's an even more interesting perspective. A light, so a light is, the, is, is formerly part of what it was known as Aon Hewitt. Right, so a light was the sort of technology side of that business that was sort of pulled up separately. It was just the workday implementation practice side. It was the consulting side on uh, technology and practices. Right, um, where we also found out this week that Aon, as a standalone insurance and and uh, HR benefits broker, which was separated from a light, then merged with Willis Towers Watson. Right. And across all three of these types of organizations, they've all been trying to figure out what's the new role they're playing in a world that doesn't depend as heavily on pensions and retirement fund management and all those things. And everyone's trying to become a technology company, right? (laughs) So Alight is, I think, just the most recent conversation around an organization that was a spinoff to some extent um, that focuses on implementations, that focuses on um, technologies around outsourcing and outsourcing management, and now they're saying that they're going to view artificial intelligence into how organizations can increase engagement in the organization, which is some sort of a front end. You know, we've been talking about the service delivery model for a while, but but they're talking about viewing this in their healthcare navigation solutions, right? Um, and also viewing it in the front end service delivery experience. So giving an opportunity to make some decisions about your health care and your wellness through this artificial intelligence process. That's, that's the bigger picture here, I guess. That's interesting because you, you have to wonder, I, I'd love to hear more about this because you have to wonder just what data do they use? This, the, the healthcare navigation problem treads right on the edges of HIPAA data. And mm-hmm. 
if you don't use information about the actual health care, then what is it that you're helping with? Making it easier to change policy uh, policy institutions? It's to pick which which um, tools for healthcare that you want to use, right? Enrollment guidance, um, comparison, clinical programs, health savings, right? And, and the wellness in a space, they're, they're also doing, you know, decisions about, you know, financial well-being as well as your personal well-being and debt management, those type of things. And, and they're also covering here some conversations about, um, careers, they're talking about things like time off and total reward uh, packages, right? What does that look like? Um, how do we evaluate our pay deduction decisions, right? Those are personalized in the way that I get to make decisions as an employee, and but oftentimes I don't know what's the right decision to make. So really, I need some sort of a tool or a wizard that guides me through those decisions so I can make the right ones that make sense for me and my family and my personal life, right? Um, so a lot of this doesn't require HIPAA information if you yourself personally know those things. You can just say yes or no to a certain question without getting into maybe what kind of health risks you have or what problems you have, right? So it's a little bit of skirting around the HIPAA conversation to some extent. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um... So, so these things, um, navigating healthcare choices. Apparently, apparently, you can navigate financial choices, which suggests mm-hmm. trading trading stocks on the company portal. Is that what financial well-being means? <laughs> um, Not exactly. Um, no, but and, and, and um, pay and performance. These are not actually terribly complex conversations, and there have been wizards around for years. What do you suppose the difference is? Yeah, well, that's what I—that's the thing that I, because Light had their, you know, artificial intelligence, and at the same time, we got an announcement of Paycor announcing the industry-first open enrollment wizard tool. Right, sort of the same exact thing: benefits administration software that helps you walk through setting up um, open enrollment processes for small businesses whether that's for the administrator or for the end user who's who's going through the decision-making process, we've had some sort of tool guiding people through these decision-making processes for a while. So it is hard to say that it is industry first in any sense or that it is, um, you know, something novel. The artificial intelligence part of it, the only thing that I can, you know, sort of, again, not having had the conversation with them is that possibly they're, making recommendations to the end users based off of algorithms that they've built into the tool set. That's what I would assume, right? Um, And also making sure that those algorithms are gathering continued data through the responses that people are making, right? Again, not pulling HIPAA-specific data, but maybe pulling it as training data, which is anonymized, right? Um, But, yeah, no, I mean, these aren't new concepts. I think the algorithms might be new ideas, um, but we've been sort of using just good common sense to help people walk through these kind of wizard-like things for some time, right? Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see if this actually makes a difference. Yeah. I think this, and the PayCore one is interesting to watch. PayCore is not only saying their wizard will help people make decisions, it's much more about actually setting up open enrollment, right? 
um, which is much more for the administrator on the SMB side, and that generally takes a long time to set up open enrollment. They're saying they're going to reduce time for doing open enrollment from month, weeks and months to a quarter of that time with their wizards. So again, same space, same conversation, just a little different take on it, right? And then paychecks. Lots of good stuff going from paychecks. Yeah. Always love Tracy Volkman here, who is their analyst relations person. I think she does an amazing job pinpointing when there's less noise in the market about other technologies. And she does sort of a, a really nice job of, of making sure that that's when the announcements for paychecks comes out. I mean, these aren't massive announcements, although I do think they did a nice job with talking about their efforts to help and support their small businesses um, manage the, the COVID-19 conversation, um, putting some templates out there and um, how they're helping invest in tools that will help manage this, you know, remotely accessing employees, those type of things for their customers. Um, but they also announced some really interesting things. They've got a, um, a new um, integration um, uh, feature uh, with um, additional organizations. So they're sort of adding to their integration tools. Um, they've been talking about a pay-on-demand system for a while, but it looks like they have a new payday um, pay-on-demand solution they're, they're putting here. The Help Center is probably the most interesting. Uh, the Help Center tool that they're talking about is one that has tutorials and employees natural language processing for, for questions and predictive learning. Uh, I think this is for the admins of the HR function, though. I'm not sure if this is all the way down to employees, but it might be. It doesn't say in this particular um, data point. Uh, as well as a custom dashboard and document management. So Paychex continues to fill out their offerings, offering in many cases just as much as many of the larger, more expensive tools have in the market, right? This is so the Paychex story is pretty amazing. They have they have breathed life into an old company um, over the last I don't know five or six years um, by just in a very disciplined way, expanding their reach, expanding the quality. They have one of the most interesting AI programs in the industry. Um, and so, so this is, this is one good model for how you do it. You just keep slugging, you just keep hitting and hitting and hitting, um, and get the timing right. And, um, I bet they can show the results of their development and, communications programs to be directly impacting stock price. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You know, we're also seeing in this same space, um, as we talked about, the Aon Hewitt, you know, Aon buys Willis Towers Watson. Um, this is a, probably the biggest announcement this week, and they also play in the payroll, brokerage, conversation, benefits space that we were just talking about with a lot of the other organizations and um, mostly for the largest organizations in the world. So where we've got Paychex and uh, Paycor, we were talking about earlier dealing with the, the smallest organizations in the market and, um, and Willis Towers Watson deal with the largest companies globally on the topics of benefits and employee pensions and employee retirement plans. And these two large behemoth organizations um, uh, basically, um, and the UK-based Aon is buying Willis Towers Watson's for $30 billion. Um, that will create basically a combined company worth $76 billion, which puts them ahead of 
the Mercer organization, which was the Mercer Marsh McLennan, which was originally up until this point the leader as the sort of care um, uh, brokerage firm market. Um, so this is going to create a huge, massive company from what was sort of parts of other companies now being sort of brought together. Um, and the goal, it looks like, is to um, unify the sector's second and largest and third largest names, um, as well as to allow them to focus more on their packaged offerings, um, unveiling um, new benefit platforms for, um, uh, sorry, um, and making sure that they are um, able to meet the demands of sort of the changing market that they're dealing with, both in healthcare and benefits, uh, as well as the pension market. So this is this is going to be interesting to watch to see how this impacts jobs, uh, the technology space around benefits, the technology space around uh, retirement management, um, and some of the um, regulations in the space as well. It's, it's going to be interesting. I wonder. I wonder. Well, you know, in the current administration, this won't really receive um, much scrutiny as a deal. But when you consolidate this market, what it really does is reduce the level of choice that employees have uh, and that employers have when shopping for uh, benefits management kinds of things. And uh, I, I want. I wonder. I just wonder if that's going to hold. Yeah, I, I will have to say that was one of my first thoughts as well was I was surprised because there had been an earlier conversation about Aon and Willis Charles Watson sort of connecting uh, actually as of last year, and that fell through pretty rapidly, I think, due to some um, misunderstandings about how much they were worth and valuations. But there was also some, some concern about, you know, antitrust going on. Um, we might have that situation here, but like you said, it may not be paying as much attention because if you're a large organization now, you have a limited you know, choice in who you would go to. Now, I do believe that the Mercer organization, who's been heavily focused on growing their business in this space, will use this as an opportunity while you do any merger and acquisition as an opportunity to pick up more, more um, customers who don't want to deal with emerging client or emerging uh, vendor. Um, but still, it's definitely going to create fewer options for the market as overall. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to you'd have to wonder if this deal will actually get done, right? So they announced it. They announced it. It doesn't say when it's going to close exactly, but it's got to be since it's an all stock deal. It's got to be contingent on a range of stock prices, and what we're seeing in the stock market is so insane. That, that that it's easy to imagine the deal falling apart. That's a good point. We haven't really talked about that, but, I mean, the stock market could be causing multiple um, differing conversations for any kind of an organization that's being impacted by that right now, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, it'll be, it'll be you know, we're, we're in a changing world. We're in, we're in such a rapidly changing world. Um, it's hard to predict what normal will look like six months from now. And um, um, all of these businesses that we've talked about today have one thing in common, and that's they assumed that tomorrow was going to look a lot like yesterday did. Sort of like, sort of like AI in general, right? The, the, the question for AI is, 
can AI predict in any interesting way what happens when there is a huge market disruption like we're seeing? I mean, and, and it's not one, any, it's not any good at that. No, it's 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 it, because this is this is something that's never happened before, right? And and so the idea of sort of predicting something that just there's no model for, right, um, requires um, much different analysis. It, it was interesting. There was a couple of articles that I, that I didn't pick up on, but but they were sort of biotechnology articles that Salesforce was an interesting one. They had they had a, a, a their artificial intelligence research program had been working on actually sort of synthesizing proteins or something like that, which is it was an interesting thing for someone in the Salesforce market to be doing. But when I'm really listening to what AI is doing right now, it seems like the places where it can have the most impact definitely is in the healthcare space in the sort of understanding what's going on in sort of the the biology level of things, right, where it's a little bit more predictable, a little bit more scientific about what you can get to. Predicting human nature and economies and markets is a much different dialogue, and I'm, I'm not sure we're really as good at that as we think we might be yet, right? Oh, no, we're not involved. The... the, the, the... The simplest way to say it is that AI cannot handle emergent phenomena and can't understand causality. Um, and and the, the unbundling of that is um, AI can predict that what happened yesterday will happen tomorrow, um, but it can't predict that what didn't happen yesterday will happen tomorrow. Um, and um, that's that means that if you trust if you trust the tool and use it as the primary bit of evidence for decision making, you're taking a risk, and the question is how big is the risk in any given decision? And I don't I don't think people are thinking that hard about it. No, no, not at this point. And 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 the risks are being put into sort of relative levels, right? You know. Um, the risk of putting out the right marketing material or the wrong marketing material versus the risk of making the right or wrong decision about healthcare, right, have two different levels of impact at the end of them, right? Um, right. And I think, you know, right now we, we are used to looking at risks based off of financial or brand or uh, discussions about, you know, sort of business outcomes from a, from a, uh, um, the size of our market or, or customer satisfaction and sort of thing. But as we move further into some of the things that we're dealing with right now, whether that's the virus scares or, uh, you know, biological decisions or, you know, decisions about, you know, people's health care, those artificial intelligence are going to get closer and closer to having an impact on a human outcome. And that's when it gets, much more complicated and has much more sort of long-term impacts on an individual, right, which you can name and you can put a, a face to. And that's, that's something where it gets a little bit um, more profound in how you have to think about your AI conversation, right? Yeah, but, but it, it's only going to be useful to the extent that it can make some movement with predicting what people will do. That's the holy grail here. Yeah. Um, you know, otherwise, it's just another wizard. 
It's just no, and and that's not really very interesting. I don't think. Yeah. It's just another wizard, but you're telling people that it's a smarter wizard because it's got this AI behind it, and so people are using it to make sort of decisions that have an impact on their life. Isn't that the scarier part? Is that you're you're saying that it's a smarter than just me as a, as a consultant giving you guidance, right? Right. No, that's exactly what the scary part is, is the claim that it's smarter. And, yeah. and um, it's not at all clear that it is, right? That's, that's the, there's no, the, the, there's rarely evidence that, uh, that this data infused thing actually generates greater benefit than the older version. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of putting AI in places where you have data just because you can, rather than because it actually solves a problem. Although I don't disagree with some of the, the great work that's being done. I mean, I love the ideas of wizards that walk through things like we talked about here, both with paychecks and Paycor and even the work that Eli's doing by that will give more guidance than what we've had in the past. And so I think all of these are great to sort of giving some sense of um, more insight, particularly for those employees who need it or want it. I think it really just comes down to language that we're using. That's the thing that I would just caution for the market is just be aware of the language and what your what your end users believe about it, right? I, I'll never forget I had a consultant who once told me, well, you know, technology and, and, and AI has no bias, right? We've now realized that that is not the case. There's bias built in from everything, right? But early on, there was a real hard belief that, well, technology can't have a bias. We've I mean, got the same thing here with this kind of decision-making process is that, oh, AI is better than my own personal sort of maybe walkthrough. And that's not the case. But more information is never a bad thing, right? So, so, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that, um, that these things may not be useful. I'm saying that, that the hype and the exaggerated claims create expectations in buyers and users that are hard to meet. Um, and so, so that means that what you have to do to clarify what's actually possible. So, so if you, if somebody's building a new way of guiding you through benefits enrollment based on data, well, you need to see if that's actually true, if that actually works, or if this is just a more lipstick on a pig. Yeah. Right. And and uh, you know, the, depending on who the, um, well, actually, you can almost tell by the buzzword density, right? You you might apply a buzzword <laughs> density meter to a set of claims from a vendor, and and have a a reliability discount based on the intensity of the buzzwords because because <laughs> if it's not a, if it's not in English uh, and not perfectly clear in English then then you can't guarantee that they know what they're talking about. I love that. So so that's our takeaway from today. We have we've tried to creep a virus-free zone. I think we've done a fairly good job of it. And most importantly you should have a buzzword index built into all technology decision-making. <laughs> the more buzzwords, the lower <laughs> confidence you have. I, I think you can, you, can make, you can make a pretty good living out of that, John, just giving people a buzzword index. 
Oh, there you go. There you go. It's a fog index. Um, yeah. <laughs> great. So thanks again for doing this, Daisy. It was a wonderful show. We managed to stay quarantined. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you back here same time next week. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye now. Thanks, everyone. Bye.